A very good morning to you guys. I am so glad to see you. A lot of good things going on this week. Did you notice that there's Krispy Kreme donuts over in the hospitality area? Did you see that? Now, some of y'all are hearing this. I can tell in your eyes you didn't know. But now you know I can see the sparkle, the Krispy Kreme sparkle. Do me a big favor and eat those things. Because if there's any left, I might end up with some. And if you are what you eat, and I'm already sweet enough and donut-shaped enough, donut-shaped enough, I'm nearly as sweet as Bobby Wright. That's how sweet I am. I had said that's a feat right there. So big thanks to Lisa for bringing those in. Lisa, who... uh, she, yeah, God bless Lisa. She works down at Forsyth Hospital and the world headquarters of Krispy Kreme is almost with inside of that place. And she brought us Krispy Kreme. God bless her. Another happy thing happening this weekend. Uh, I will pay dearly for this. So y'all join me in saying happy birthday to Isabel, my oldest daughter. Happy birthday. She is uh, four and a half. Um, no, really. Born February 29th. And if you can only see the look of adoration that she's giving me right now, as she does every time I mention that her birthday's on the 29th and she only has a birthday every four years, she adores me, looks up to me and thinks, you know, it's just good to know that I'm her hero for mentioning that. No, she'll really, <laughs> she'll really be 18, which I don't know how the math works on that because me and her mama are still in our 20s, so I don't know how we have an 18-year-old. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, we were frozen, uh, maybe like Captain America was frozen in the ice, like not 70 years later, he came back out and he still looked like he's, he's 30. That's what happens. Maybe something like that happens anyway. Anyway. So, uh, today I want to start us out in prayer. There's some pretty wild stuff going on in the world. We need to pray, especially for, uh, Ukraine. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly father. We pray in Jesus name, hardly knowing what to ask, except that you will help that you'll intervene. God, we pray for peace. We don't, we don't want to see a world war. We don't want to see any kind of war if we can help it. And God, we praise you in advance for the day that is coming when all the swords will be beaten to plow shares and the spears and the printing hooks and humans won't attack each other anymore. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I'm not really here to talk about uh, war today. I do want to talk about something that is a battle. Uh, the game of Monopoly. Who likes Monopoly? Okay, I see. Who is, who's the person who doesn't want to play Monopoly with that person who likes Monopoly? Last time Monopoly... Yeah, Isabel raises her hand. Because last time the kids had Monopoly out, I wasn't invited to play Monopoly. But of course, you know, Elijah, he's 11. You know, I just wanted to coach him a little bit. I just came to coach my son. Uh, at some point, he got tired, and I just kept on coaching And, uh, yeah, they don't let me play Monopoly. I'm a little too competitive. Do you know that the game of Monopoly was originally intended as a satire? The inventor of Monopoly, which went by a different name at first, wanted this to be a way to show what a problem it is when greed gets out of control. That was the point of Monopoly, uh, the game, to to show that what happens when greed gets way out of control. But she didn't count on the idea that people like greed quite a lot, and it's fun, at least in a game form. And um, pretty shortly thereafter, 
the uh, concept was stolen, no surprise, and sold to Parker Brothers, and now it is the best-selling modern-style board game of all time besides things like chess and checkers. So it just goes to show you that sometimes people learn the wrong lesson. That was the case with Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember last chapter, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a huge statue, and this was God showing Nebuchadnezzar the empires that would come after Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar seems to have an encounter with the true God, right? He seems to almost get it, to almost understand that idolatry is not the way and that this true God is greater than any other imagined gods. And, and the way he talked, the way he acted, it seems like he was on track to getting it, to understanding but then we start Daniel chapter 3, where we are today. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? God gives him this prophetic dream about a statue, and instead of turning from idolatry, he makes the biggest idol of all. He builds a statue of his own, 90 feet tall and made of gold. The king didn't stop there. The king recruited the best musicians in all the land and gave them this wide variety of instruments to form an orchestra, and he commissioned them to create a theme song for Babylon, for him, for this statue particularly, an anthem, if you will. And whenever the orchestra played the anthem, everyone was supposed to bow down to the statue, bow down to the idol. Didn't matter if they were high officials in the government or commoners, Everyone was supposed to bow to the statue. And if they would not bow to the statue, they would be thrown into the furnace. This wasn't a furnace like the furnace that heats a house. This was an industrial furnace, one that would be used, say, for melting metal or firing bricks. It would have been a giant kiln, very, very hot. And anybody who was tossed in there would not last. You probably wouldn't die quick enough, <laughs> considering the horrible pain you were in but you would die pretty quick. So if anyone did not bow before the idol, they would go through the fire. Things haven't gone, it's two and a half millennia, but things aren't so different. Now, if you're a believer, the idols of this world are, are not your God. This world worships things like, like wealth and power and, and uh, possessions and achievements and status, those are the kind of things that this world worships. This world worships celebrities and politicians and ideologies. And if you, as a follower of God, don't bow down before these things that the world holds up so high, you're probably going to pass through the fire too. If you won't worship the gods of greed and the gods of self, you'll go through the fire. So... I'm sure that a lot of people at the time knew you shouldn't bow down to this idol. Um, there were a lot of Hebrews living in Babylon at the time. Remember that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, when Babylon had conquered the promised land, most of the survivors were brought back to Babylon and they started a new life. And so there are a lot of Hebrews there that should have known not to bow down to this idol. After all, it was idolatry that got them in trouble and got them shipped off to Babylon in the first place. But... Uh, of all these guys that should have known better, only three of them opted out. When the anthem played, 
they did not bow down to the statue. Everyone else did, but they didn't. Well, why did everyone else bow down? Well, because they didn't want to be thrown in the fiery furnace. That's pretty plain. But they should have held firm. They didn't. I guess it was too scared. Sometimes you heard that phrase, you got to go along to get along. You've heard that. You've heard that. And, and sometimes that makes sense. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to right and wrong, no, when no amount of going along will get you along for long. It'll always eventually bite you in the end. So there was these three guys who did not bow down. And of course, somebody ratted them out. Somebody ratted them out. Nothing is quite as ugly as jealousy. Have you had any experiences with jealousy? I think we all have. So there were these wise men in Babylon, the ones that were from Babylon. The scripture in Daniel 3 calls them the Chaldeans. And they were used to being the king's favorite advisors. They were very brilliant, very talented, very gifted. But now there's these upstarts that are starting to get the attention of the king. These were some of those Hebrews from Jerusalem. You see, when, when the Jews were brought to Babylon, some of the best and brightest young men were recruited into a leadership program to train them to uh, be officials in the government. They were to be trained in the history and the language and culture of Babylon. And uh, they're starting to get the attention because among those Hebrew boys, there's four guys who are really standouts. There's Daniel. We know Daniel. Got a book named after him. And then there's the three friends of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But we don't know them by those names. They're known by their he the Babylonian names that were given to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is, uh, this is a great story. This is like one of the few stories of Daniel besides the lion's den that people have heard of. The, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. So these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, if you want their Hebrew names, they were the only ones who did not bow down to the statue. Now the obvious question is, what about Daniel? Where was Daniel? Did Daniel bow down? Well, we don't know where Daniel was. The chapter does not mention Daniel at all. It's, he, it doesn't mention his name at all in the chapter. I, I was going to call this episode Daniel and the Deadly Fire, but he ain't there. And then I thought I would call it Daniel and the time he was out of town at a very convenient moment for the saving of his life. But that's a little wordy to put on the YouTube video so we're just going to call it Daniel's Friends in the Fiery Furnace. I think that works. That's alliteration, right? Daniel's Friends in the Fiery Furnace. So as for Daniel, we do not know what was up with him. It is possible that the king made an exception for Daniel. Maybe. But maybe more likely he was out of town on business. Maybe he saw this coming and found a way to be out of town on business. Anyway, we can be sure if he was around, he would not have bowed. That would not have been consistent with his character. Daniel would not have bowed, and he would have been there with them in the fiery furnace. He wasn't with them in the fiery furnace, but someone else was, as we'll see in just a little bit. So the king's advisors, the Chaldeans, were so jealous of these young Hebrews being praised, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, they saw that they weren't bowing down. So they ran and tattled to the king. Now we've already established that Nebuchadnezzar is not a chill guy. Nebuchadnezzar 
has some anger issues, and because he is more or less the king of the world at this moment, there's nobody more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, humanly speaking, at this point. He can do pretty much what he wants. So he flies into a rage, and he calls for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he, he says, what's this I hear? Didn't I say everyone should bow down to this statue or they will be thrown in the fiery furnace? So I hear that you're not bowing down when you hear the anthem played by this orchestra I have put together. So here's the, here's the deal, guys. If you will get with the program and bow to this idol, then okay, we'll let bygones be bygones and you'll be all right. But if you do not, be sure that you will be thrown in the fiery furnace. And what God will save you then? Uh, that almost sounds like a dare to me. I love their response. Their answer is so good. I want to read it right from the scriptures. This is Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18. It goes like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case... If that's the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, mm, that's powerful words, but if not, you'll put up verse 18, please. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Notice what they did not say. They did not say, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but they didn't say what we might want to say in the moment and say, ah, whatever, I'm not scared of the fire. I'm a child of God and no weapon formed against me can prosper. That sounds pretty good, but sometimes it, it looks like the weapons of the world do prosper, at least in the moment. It certainly looks that way. And, and they didn't say, um, we claim by faith that we'll be delivered. We know we'll be delivered. What they did say was much more impressive. They said, we know God can deliver us from the fire. And we hope he will. We're counting on him to deliver us from the fire. But if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will be faithful. There is so much power in those words. Even if he doesn't. So much faith. Look, there are times when standing on faith means we will go through the fire. It takes a lot of faith to believe that God will save us from the flames. But it takes a lot more faith to keep on trusting God when you start to feel the heat. It takes faith to pray for the best when you're awaiting medical results. But it takes even greater faith to keep on trusting God when the news isn't what you wanted to hear. My family knows about this. It takes faith to trust God with what you have and give sacrificially, but it takes even greater faith to trust God when you can't see where it's going to come from. You can't see how you're going to make ends meet. It takes faith to trust God to hold your world together, but it takes even greater faith to trust God when it sure seems like your world's falling apart. These men knew God could save them. They were trusting God would save them. But they also knew he was not obligated to do so. They didn't know how it was going to turn out, but they were going to trust God anyway. 
Trust him anyway. We think he can save us. Well, we know he can save us. We're hoping he will. But even if he doesn't, we're going to trust. While Nebuchadnezzar was raging, you, you got what was going? What would go through your mind? Say, Lord, could you just give him a heart attack right now while he's freaking out like this? You know, Lord, could you strike him down, please? While he's so mad right now, could you just, you know, could you a little lightning, God? You can do the lightning. Just drop a little lightning on him. But God didn't. God didn't do that. When the king gave the command that the furnace should be heated seven times hotter. Maybe they were thinking, okay, Lord, this, can, it, can, can the furnace break now? That would be great. Just an idea, Lord. The furnace could break or they could run out of fuel. Run out of fuel. You're always having, if you ever like burn wood for heat, you're always having to carry wood in. Anybody know what it's like to carry wood in? Yeah, my dad had uh, wood heat for his entire life until like last winter. And... Um, they got. They actually got like a like a, a propane. And I'm like, Dad, does it feel weird to not carry wood in for the first time in your entire life? And he said, You know, I got used to it. <laughs> I've gotten used to the idea of not having to carry wood in. So yeah, God, can we just run out of fuel here? But but God didn't make the furnace break, and He didn't cause the fuel to run out. When they were being led to the furnace to be thrown in. Maybe they were hoping God would send some angels or some ninjas or something to save them, to rescue them. But God did not. God allowed them to be marched up to the furnace and tossed in. And the fire was so hot that the guards who put them in were burned up at once. At this point, it looks like God is not going to deliver them. It looks like their faith was going to get them as far as the mouth of the furnace, but not any farther. So let's get painfully real, because that's why you came here right this morning. So the preaching would make you as uncomfortable as it has made the preacher this week. Uh, trust me, I've, I've been thinking on this all week. Let's get real about our faith. Most of our faith stops right about the edge of the fire, but it doesn't go into the fire. We don't, it gets us there, but mm. the thing is, um, it doesn't go into fire because if it goes into fire, it won't make it. But there's something interesting that's revealed in the scriptures. Fire does not destroy faith. The fire of trials and temptations does not destroy faith. You can't destroy faith. It only burns up what you thought was faith, but wasn't. So much of the time, the faith we think we have isn't really faith. It's warm, fuzzy feelings because, you know, hey, ain't God good? And it's, you know, it's the kind of stuff you put on a calendar and a mug and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're going to have to have a lot more than that to get you through the fiery trials of life. So much of what we think is faith is more like the cardboard cutout of faith. Have you seen those? Like the cardboard cutout of, of uh, some person. I'd, I never had one of those. It'd probably weird me out to have one of those in my house. I'd probably have to do something about that if someone put a cardboard cutout in my house. Because, you know, the fight or flight response, you know that? Do I look like I do a lot of cardio, y'all? Uh, no. 
So I don't know what will happen there. I'll knock that thing down. But the thing is about a cardboard cutout is it looks like the person, more or less. But it's not the person. A cardboard cutout looks like the real thing, but it's not very durable. It, a wind, a gust of wind will knock it over, right? If you get it wet, it's going to fall apart. And don't you dare put it near an open flame because a cardboard cutout will burn up. So much of what we think is faith and trust turns out to just be cardboard when we really go through the fire and it burns up. I believe it is the Corinthians where Paul says that uh, everything that we have done for God will be put on the altar and tested by fire and only the the stuff, the precious metals and jewels will last and everything else that looked like the real thing that wasn't the real thing that's cardboard and wood, it's all going to burn up. That's how it is with our faith. That's why it's so hard when we get hit with a fiery trial and trouble because we think we can handle it until we get there and when we get in the middle of it, it's so much harder than we knew. We thought we were ready, but we usually... All right, now I'm, I'm looking at some folks in here who have been through some stuff, who've been through the fire again and again and again. And you find out, man, I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. My faith wasn't as big as I thought it was. But what happens to that faith? It grows while you're in that fiery trial. Our faith is rarely as big as we think it is. But the fire of Trials and trouble will show us what it really is. And normally it needs to grow. So what about these Hebrew boys? We've left them in there for long enough. I think it's about time for them to get out, right? Okay. King Nebuchadnezzar expected them to go off like a firework. But what he saw made him jump out of his seat. These young men were walking around in the fire, very much alive. The only thing that had burned up was the ropes that bound them. The king squints into the bright flames and he shouts to his advisors, wait a minute, didn't we put three guys in here? There seems to be a fourth person in the fire and he looks like the son of God. Ooh, that's good stuff. Hmm. Nebuchadnezzar's words must have been put in his mouth by God himself because Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't know anything about the son of God. He doesn't know. He, that doesn't... That reflects a level of understanding that he could not possibly have. As a matter of fact, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, nobody on the planet at the time really understood the idea that God would have a, a son, Jesus Christ, that would come someday. We understand it, right? Because we're living after the fact. And we look back and say, well, why couldn't they see that? It's the same reason we don't ever see stuff coming. The fact, the truth was there, but they did not understand it just yet. So who is this fourth man in the fiery furnace? Nebuchadnezzar could see that this was more than a normal person. He knew it had to be at least an angel or what might have been called a, a demigod in Babylonian uh, religion. But who was he? You know, I think what Nebuchadnezzar said without really understanding it was true. The fourth one looks like the son of God. I believe this person in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was Jesus himself. Before Bethlehem, 
a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus before he was in any human form. See, Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born at Bethlehem. He did not begin to exist when he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Uh, John 1 says, in the beginning was God and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Who's the Word? Is Jesus. He's been there from the beginning, from before the beginning, before there was anything like the concept of time. And we'll see in the Old Testament, if you do a study in the Old Testament, multiple times a being that is referred to as the angel of God or the angel of the Lord shows up and he has powers that are beyond angelic. I think you'll see several places. And again, in the book of Daniel, we're going to get a glimpse of Jesus where, where Jesus appears before Bethlehem. I believe that the fourth man in the fiery furnace was Jesus himself. Now, can I prove that? Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But here's what I can prove again and again. Here's what I know for a fact. When his kids are in the fire, Jesus is with them. Take that to the bank. Because if you ain't in the fiery trial today, just you wait. It'll come. It'll come. If you're in one of those moments between a trial, you just say, thank you, Jesus. Let's let this last a little while. I'm paying good attention, Lord. You don't have to get my attention. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention now. And you know, things have gone a little bit better for my family lately. And I've been, oh boy, I've been praying so hard and saying, Lord, okay, I'm really trying to pay attention now to everything you want to say to me. You don't have to raise your voice to me, Lord. I'm listening. I'm listening. I just want to do this. So sometimes those trials are to get our attention. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, God, you got my attention. Don't need any trials. I don't know. It doesn't always work that way. But, but anyway, whatever fire you're going through, he's with you. Nebuchadnezzar comes as close as he dares, and he calls into the fire. And let's see what he says directly from the word of God. This is Daniel 3, 26 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that these men on whom, whose bodies the fire had no power, their hair, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were these men, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not even on. Came through the fire and they don't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything against the God of Meshach, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut in pieces. And their houses be made an ash heap, because there's no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now that's a miracle. They went through fire hot enough to melt iron and came out not even smelling like smoke. King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that the God of the Hebrews, the true God, the God of the Bible is the most high God. He didn't really turn from his Babylonian gods exactly, but he did did allow the Hebrews to freely practice their religion. Now, we live in a time where we just assume, we take for granted that people should be able to freely practice their religion and worship as they please. But for most of human history, that's not been the case. For most of human history, there has not been freedom of worship. And to be honest, I don't. it's not going to last forever even here. If you've got freedom to worship, you better be worshiped. Actually, 
when there's not freedom to worship, just keep on worshiping. Because this lasts for a little while, this life on earth thing. But eternity is eternal. And we're going to be worshiping there. Let's just wor- let's worship now too. The king does not make a law requiring the people to worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he does say, I don't want to hear anybody talking smack about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or uh, we'll have them cut in pieces and their houses burned again. That seems to be his solution for everything. You know, when, uh, when all, the only tool you got in your toolbox is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. And it seems the only tool in, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's toolbox is, we're going to cut you up and burn the house down. Look, that's, Nebuchadnezzar needed some counseling. Nebuchadnezzar needed the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar needed Jesus, just like all the rest of us. So uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all get promotions and they live happily ever after. Maybe. Actually, we don't know what happened after this. This is the last time they're mentioned in the Bible. I hope they lived happily ever after. We, we really don't know. But the story of Daniel, who was absent for this, it will continue. And the story of Nebuchadnezzar will continue. Now you'd think, after Nebuchadnezzar had saw this, that, that he would trust in the true God, that he would change his ways. Well, no. No. Next time, read ahead to chapter 4. And you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar... He has to spend some, he gets some thinking time. Let's just put it like that. He has some thinking, or, or maybe you might say time where he wasn't able to think. You read ahead, see what, see what you conclude about that in the next chapter. So this story, the, the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, it's the second most well-known story in the book of Daniel after the lion's den, and for good reason. I mean, if you get thrown in the fire and you don't get burned up, that's pretty awesome that is miraculous that is impressive but if you ask me it's not the most interesting part of the story why isn't it the most interesting part of the story? well to save them from the fire did god have to break a sweat no did he have to strain to save them from the fire nah is anything remotely difficult for god no it's as easy for for him to, to create a, a speck of dust as it is cr- to create the whole universe. There's no, there is no burden on him. He's, he, nothing's difficult for him. So, yes, it's amazing, but it's not like it's a big feat of strength because God can do it. Well, what about Jesus maybe appearing in the Old Testament? That's pretty cool, right? Absolutely it is. Absolutely. And yet there's something for you and I on a personal level even more moving than that. It's the faith of these young men. That's the real story here. Because without that, there's, there's no story at all. This story doesn't happen. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they bow to that idol, there's, there's no Daniel chapter 3 like we know it. That's the real story. They had faith not just to go through the fire, but to go into the fire. You see the difference? They chose the fire rather than forsake God. So what about you and what about me? Chances are you're not going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. You're not going to be threatened with it. But you're going to have times where standing for what is right will cost you. 
something. If you got a job and you're in the working world, there are going to be times where the people you work with cut some corners and do some things they should not do. That's going to happen. Um, there will be times where it will be a lot easier to join them in doing that sort of thing. But you won't be able to do it and feel right about it. If you're still in school, there are going to be times where other students are doing things they should not do. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Some of it's just cheating. Just cheating. And you'll see it. And it would be easier in the short run to do that. But you can't do that. Because you're a child of God. You can't. And it's going to cost you. It's going to be tough. It's going to cost you. If, if um, in your circle, if in your social circle, there are times when people are talking smack about somebody else. You won't be able to join in on that. You might even have to step up and say, hey, hey, I get it. I don't like that person either, but we ain't going to talk about them like this. You don't need to talk about somebody behind their back. You will see that. There are going to be times when people in your family or people who used to be in your family are very difficult and they're not treating you decently and it would feel so good to let loose with both barrels but you can't do that because you're a child of God and that's not how you live there are times when doing the right thing will cost you some money normally it will money you don't have certainly doing the right thing will cost you trouble and frustration so what will you do it's so easy for us to assume that God ought to make our lives easy I mean you can kind of build like a pretty big televangelist empire by telling people, hey, just pray this prayer and everything will be smooth sailing from here on out. But it doesn't really work that way experientially, does it? It certainly does not. Um, we, we like to think God should not let us go through frustrating times or painful times. But if we only follow God when God seems to be following our plan, is our faith in God or is it our faith? In our plans. It's the painful part. You know, I, I've had times, I've never, been, I've never been on the edge of the fiery furnace, but I've had some times, many times as a matter of fact, where I had to choose to do what was difficult and right, or what was I knew wasn't right, but it sure was a lot easier in the moment. It was a lot more natural in the moment to do the thing I shouldn't do than it is to do the thing I should do. Sometimes I've blown it. Sometimes I haven't. But I will say this. Those are the pivotal moments in your life when you are right there at the edge of the fire and the right thing to do is to step into it. And you do. That is a difference maker. I guarantee you this. If there's been some times I wasn't willing to step into the fire, I wouldn't be holding this mic right now. And there's some times where I didn't do the right thing and maybe I'm not worthy to be preaching the Word of God. But I will say this, it's in those moments where we choose and that defines much more of who we are. Charles Stanley famously said, trust God and leave the consequences to Him. That's a pretty good summary. 
for this story. Trust God and leave the, conf- the consequences to Him. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we did hear some sirens go by, and we want to lift them up to you right now. God, I pray for mercy for everyone who's involved with that. And Lord, we pray for ourselves that when we are at the edge of the fire and we have to choose between bowing to the idols of this world or worshiping you only and stepping in, God, I pray you'll give us the faith not to just endure the fire, but to walk into it if it's the right thing. God, when we are dealing with situations where it would be so much easier to go with the way of the world, I pray, I beg that you'll give us faith like these three Hebrew boys to be willing to go into the fire rather than forsake you. God, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to encourage you strongly to go read Daniel 4 this week. It is really interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar comes back. He hasn't learned his lesson yet. But by the end of the chapter, maybe he has. God bless you guys. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Let's send you out with a little bit of music. Love y'all. See you next time.